HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Did you know that Wisconsin wins more national and international cheese awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com. I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of the next episode of Meet and 3, our weekly food news roundup. We're fresh off our trip to Slow Food Nations in Denver, a festival that brought together advocates to discuss the future of food. And this week, we're bringing you a special episode inspired by the new Equity, Inclusion, and Justice Manifesto released by Slow Food USA. If we're going to solve food security, we need to say these people have a right to good, healthful food. But we have to do that in a way that kind of insulates this system from the vagaries of the market. Because when you're at a table with somebody, you recognize their humanity. And when somebody cooks for you and serves you food, in a way they're saying they care about your survival. How can we put things into our own hands and have the people of Puerto Rico gain real access to healthy local foods? Listen to Meet and 3 this week for our highlights from Slow Food Nations, available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. And on today's episode, Eric Ramirez grew up in New Jersey with his Peruvian-Japanese grandmother. Now, decades later, his restaurant Llama Inn in Brooklyn is an exploration and in honor to his blended past. There's a long history between the K Pervud, um, behind the K Cuisine, which is a proverbial bridge blending Peruvian ingredients and Japanese techniques, which sees ceviche in a similar vein to sashimi and to cuchos or grilled skewers akin to yakitori. Just like the great expanse between the Andes and the Amazons, there's a range of flavors that are found at Lama Inn, worlds apart, but bound by Brooklyn. So welcome on air, Eric. Thank you for having me. So, uh, We'll start with actually our origin story, because I met you a couple of years ago at the Culinary Institute in Napa, and you were doing a demo unlike any other, and I think it's in the lore of that school now, that you were in the backyard digging a pit. And what, right. were, what were you doing? Um, so it was, a, it was a, uh, me and a friend of mine, uh, Jaime Pisaki, who's a chef also in, in, uh, in Lima. He has a restaurant called Maita. Um, we did something called Pachamanca, which is which is kind of, which is essentially just cooking in the earth. So uh, we dug a hole. Uh, we asked them to kind of bring us, bring us some, um, 
some river stones so we can heat them up, lined them up in the in the pit, covered it with some banana leaves, and then just stuffed all our proteins, our vegetables, our potatoes, humitas, which is kind of like a, a sweet tamal, um, covered it in some more banana leaves, some more hot stones, and just buried it in the dirt and just kind of like created an, an oven within the earth and let everything cook in it. And then just opened it up, exposed it, all the steam came out, all the great smells. Um, and we laid it all out on the table and we had everybody that was part of that demonstration um, eat with their hands and dip everything in the sauces. It was a pretty cool experience. So this is how you grew up eating in New Jersey, I assume. <laughs> no, it's not <laughs> how I grew up eating in New Jersey. But your grandmother That's is... That's very, like, indigenous, very, like, you find that in more of, like, the, the, the mountainous regions in the Andes, you know, Cusco, like, that, that whole area. But, but this, this blend of what your grandmother is, Japanese and Peruvian, mm-hmm. um, it may seem or sound uncommon, but it is not. It's not uncommon. So what or how did that ever become? So Japanese started migrating to Peru in the late 1800s, like 1899. Um, the first like the first uh, group of Japanese was like 760 Japanese. They came over on a, on a, on a boat called Sakaru Maru. Um, yeah. And, and then during World War Two, uh, more Japanese started migrating to Peru. Um, so it, it kind of, it all started with, um, I guess the economy in Japan went down and there was Japanese laborers looking for work. And um, there was news about um, this country, Peru, being like rich soil, good for farming, um, moderate climate, um, kind of, you know, the same as Japan. So a lot of Japanese started migrating um, to Peru. Well, Pacific I mean- was like a huge, like, trade highway so it's it's a wild expanse so i mean not to alliterate but andes and amazon both are within this you know nation of peru but they are distinctly different regions distinctly different yeah so what's what's interesting about peru it's if you look at the geography of it you have the coast then you have the mountain regions which are the andes then you have forest and then rainforest and then you go to south of peru it's all desert so you have all these microclimates a lot of biodiversity and the result of that is all the ingredients, you know, amazing fish from the from the coast, um, grains, potatoes, corn from the Andes, um, fruit from the Amazon. You know, the South is pisco and wine. You know, a lot of you know a lot of different products. And then on top of that, you have all the cultural influences: Japanese, Chinese, Spanish, African, the indigenous. And all that mixed up together is what Peruvian cuisine is. Because it's funny, I it's chifa, right? The, the, chifa. the Chinese Peruvian. I've I've had chifa cuisine before, um, and I didn't know that there were other blends so prominent until I saw this demonstration uh, that you did at the CIA and started digging into it because I'm aside from being a Japanophile, you know, I, I just love seeing how multicultural. Uh, influences become larger than just that crappy word fusion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're ingrained. They're they're fully assimilated into what they're doing. And this Nikkei cuisine, this Japanese Peruvian or Peruvian Japanese cuisine, is is something in it of its own that I had never experienced before. 
You know, I, I know Peruvian cuisine is maybe like rotisserie chicken or what is it? Lomo saltado. Lomo saltado, ceviche. Yeah. And that's that's like the stereotype, I think, that we come across in New York City. You know, people have like this idea of what it is. You know, the rotisserie chicken, the ceviche, and the delicious green sauce that you find with the chicken. Um, but but it's obviously a lot more than that, you know. But it wasn't until Antecuchos, you know, seeing things grilled on sticks and then having yakitori in Japan that I realized that there is that bridge. Mm-hmm. What is that bridge? Is it one country's ingredients and one country's techniques or is it a blend of the two things it's it's a it's a blend of the two things it's somebody from japan migrating to peru and adapting to what's around them the ingredients the flavor profiles um at the same time using how they've learned how to cook in in japan you know so applying their their technique their ideology of how food should be but with Peruvian ingredients and 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 flavor, eventually the flavor came, you know, because it's it's the evolution of it how it happened. So let's take quinoa, for instance, you know, a Peruvian super grain, um, complete protein has every buildup like amino acid strand of 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 what makes up a protein. How does it find its way into a Japanese dish? Well, see, it's 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 going back to um, cooking with with what's around you, you know. So it's somebody that's Japanese, um, you know. For instance, I don't know. Like instead of using rice, they use quinoa. You know, it's just just adapting to and learning the ingredients that you know the country has available and and, and using those in and I guess in a, in a Japanese way. Yeah, and that seems not just out of necessity, but like you said, cooking with what's around you. But you cooked around. I mean, you cooked at some legendary places here in New York, 11 Madsen Park mm-hmm. being one of them. Um, you cooked for Richard Sandoval at Rami. You cooked for Adam Shoup and Nuela, exploring you know Latino cuisine. Um, what were you doing along this path um, to set yourself up for cooking exactly what you grew up with or what you knew as a child? Well, when I first started cooking, I never really wanted to do, um, I never knew I was going to do the food that I grew up eating or had this idea of, you know, I want to be a chef and do Peruvian cuisine. So I kind of went the whole like, you know, started doing the American and the French and then eventually the fine dining. And I always thought that was something that um, at the moment it was what was popular, right? So I, I guess that's what I wanted to do at the moment. Um, and then um, I met Adam Shop at Nuella, and he was, you know, I'm looking for, he was looking for a chef. Uh, it was Nuevo Latino with Douglas Rodriguez, and I actually worked with him. I actually worked for Jose Garces in Alma de Cuba, what at the time was the chef de cuisine or executive chef under Douglas. So that's how I met them. And uh, I really enjoyed Douglas' food. I thought it was very flavorful, and, and it was just good. You know, I had a lot of, like, soul, so... Uh, I met Adam, and and that's kind of like how I got into the whole like Latin fusion, the Nuevo Latino thing. Um, after during Nuella, um, it's funny because I really like so I was a chef de cuisine there, and I applied a lot of what I've learned um, in cooking um, to those flavors, which they kind of they did translate, but it wasn't it wasn't there just yet. You know, I needed to learn more on how to, I guess, how to do it right. Um, 
so it was like my first step into that and, and kind of figuring out like how to approach this type of cuisine and, and learning on how to like if it should be cooked this way or if it should be cooked more of like the way it's supposed to be cooked and you know without losing the integrity of, of what the dish is or what the ingredient is or where it comes from um, so then after Nuella which it wasn't really that great of, of, of a two-year experience. I was kind of like, you know what, I'm done with the whole Nuevo Latino. I, wasn't gonna, I didn't want to do it anymore. I kind of just wanted to go back to uh, doing what I was doing before. And then, um, it's funny, the owner of Nuella at the time, Colombian guy, who's, still, who's the owner of Rimey now, which is the same restaurant, but just different concepts, um, was like, we're going to turn this into a full uh, proving restaurant. Richard Sandoval was going to kind of be the name of the restaurant. We were going to call it Rimey and do this whole thing. And I was like, you know, like, it's the food I grew up eating, but I'm not too familiar with it. I don't feel comfortable cooking it. So um, I was like, nope. And then uh, just after a lot of, like, you got to do this, you got to do this, it's in, like, he's like, it's, it's, in, it's in you. Like, you should, you should try it, you know? So I took a trip to Peru, and I guess that's kind of what just, just kind of grabbed me. And, like, I was just amazed by what everything that was happening over there. And that was in 2009, and you got to tour around and work in kitchens of illustrious chefs, too. Yeah. It wasn't like you were just backpacking and knocking on doors. Yeah, well, luckily, Armin, like, the owner of, of Rami, was a really good friend of Virgilio from Central. So I got I got an opportunity to trail there, and I trailed at Ashwaringa Stone, and I trailed with my buddy uh, Jaime Pisaki from Maita. And I was just, just pretty much, like, blown away because... Like, I was in a Peruvian restaurant, but they weren't necessarily cooking Peruvian food. It wasn't, like, the traditional Peruvian food that, that we're, f like, people in New York City are familiar with. You know, like, the what we call comida criollo, like, the, the causa, the tamal, you know, what people that know Peruvian food kind of, like, that's what they think of, right? It was using, it was, it was using Peruvian ingredients and cooking how we cook here, like, with using local and and seasonal ingredients, you know, applying modern technique, um, different cooking methods. Um, and that's what kind of, like, I was like, you know, it's not, it is proving food because it's done by a proven chef and with proven ingredients, but it's, it's something that can be translated to here in the United States, even though we don't have all these ingredients in front of us, but we can try to do the best that we can with what we can get, you know? So that's like kind of when I had that, I was like, you know what, I got to, let's 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 start this you know so rhyme i really kind of learned the foundation um the basis of 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 proving cuisine developed developed the flavors um and then i had the opportunity with llama in and i just knew like that's that was the opportunity to kind of take that and kind of do something that's familiar for new yorkers but at the same time introduce something new and different you know um kind of put proving cuisine in a different stage so it's so people can like i don't know like just relate to it more and 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 become like a popular like topic of like you know instead of like hell let's go eat peruvian food you know instead of oh burgers japanese italian you know like there's so many italian restaurants you know so it just was it was just the right you know well i also think llama Inn is much more than just a peruvian restaurant you obviously have your nikkei Tasting menus, which is the blend of Peruvian and Japanese, but you call yourself part inn, part urban hacienda, part barrio bar. And what's most important to note is you are at the 
corner of this really interesting, you know, uh, division of Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And even though you told me right before the show you've only been there for about two and a half, maybe mm-hmm. three years, there's something about solidifying an institution on a corner that makes it so special. And on that, we're going to take a quick break and be right back. Today's program was brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. What do you think of when you hear Wisconsin Cheese? For me, I think cheese curds. Delicious, fresh and squeaky cheese curds. Or deep fried cheese curds. Cheese curds literally anyway, anytime, anyplace. I think about Andy Hatch and Uplands Cheese, the farmstead cheese company behind Pleasant Ridge Reserve. I think of delicious, stinky Limburger and its long storied history. I think of Dunbarton Blue, made by master cheesemaker Chris Raleigh. I think of Roth's Grand Cru Sirchois, which was named 2016's World Championship Cheese, and Satori's Black Pepper Bella Vitano, the 2017 U.S. Championship Cheese. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese with lush grasslands and a glacial water supply that produce the very best milk. Fourth-generation cheesemakers combine old-world tradition with new ideas and the highest standards to make innovative cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country. To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com. I'm Souther Teague of Amoria Margo and a co-host of the Speakeasy right here on Heritage Radio Network. You know, my favorite thing to do every week is to come here and be on the show. I have lots of jobs. I am a very busy person. Um, and I do this because I love it. I get to sit down and talk to all my heroes for about an hour every week. It's incredible. And I hope that you enjoy it, making a great effort to share with you. We'd like you to share back with us. It's our summer fundraiser, and we'd love for you to donate uh, at heritageradionetwork.org forward slash donate. You can click on the beating heart, and you can even choose shows that you'd like to donate to specifically. And you can also choose a recurring monthly uh, gift. Uh, And for all that, we'd be greatly appreciative. Thank you so much. Hey, and welcome back to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Eric Ramirez of Lama Inn. And I want to go back to this number, 760, because we, we, we stated this, but 760 Japanese immigrants to Peru, and now there is a cuisine. Now there is you, there is a restaurant, Lama Inn. 1899, that's when it happened, 760. That's an absurd number. I don't mean absurd big. I mean, like, such a specific small number to have such a large impact. Yeah, it was a very small number, actually, yeah. How many Japanese Peruvians are there living in Peru these days? It's about 1.9% of Peruvian population. Yeah. I think so, yeah. And how many Peruvians live in Brooklyn? How many Nikkei Japanese Peruvians live in Brooklyn? I, I don't. I don't know. Not much. Yeah. I don't think. I don't think much. Because, I, mean, I'm, I don't know. Because so Lama Inn is Peruvian in essence, um, and like I stated before, it's part inn, part urban hacienda, part barrio bar. So it services a lot of different aspects of being a restaurant, being a, a figurehead in the community. Um, 
what are you trying to do there by introducing this Nikkei cuisine, these tasting menus every Tuesday? I believe well, you do, what, eight courses? Yeah, it's it's eight courses. We um, This is our second version of it. Um, and it's just a, it's just, it's a good platform to, to just ex- explore, you know, explore more of, of, um, of the Peruvian culture. And the, the best way to do it, I think, is through the food, you know. You can learn a lot about where people came from. Um, their diets, like what they what they've eaten, you know, what ingredients they brought over, you know, what ingredients they use improve to adjust from an ingredient that they've used in their in their homeland. Um, it's it's a very good way of, of, of learning about it. So, what is an alfajor? Alfajor. Yeah. Alfajor is a shortbread cookie with dulce de leche or what we call marja blanco in it, dusted with powdered sugar. So it's funny because so back back where I grew up, there's this Japanese Peruvian lady that makes alfajores, and if you go to a Peruvian restaurant, um, if you go to a, a, like a traditional criollo Peruvian restaurant, um, they're delicious. But if you get it from the, it's they're completely they're not completely different. They're actually pretty the same. But you can just tell that like, she uses a like this lady uses a seed, and the the cookie's not as as like as crumbly. It's a little more chewy. But it's it's supposedly the way that a Peruvian Japanese lady would make the alfajor, you know. So it's it's not the same, but it's different. Like it's it's hard because like <laughs> what my grandma says, like you can tell when a Peruvian Japanese lady makes the alfajor, and you can tell when a Criollo woman or you know makes an alfajor. It's 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 different. And when you make one, you use cured foie, pineapple, and yuzu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little different. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the yuzu is citrus of Japan. The the foie, I'm assuming you learned in your you know fine dining. Experience. Yeah, so the, it's it's miso cured foie gras. So there was a lot of versions of that um, when we first started doing it. But yeah, it it, event, it became the miso cured foie with uh, with pineapple yuzu and an alfajor cookie. And then we fold a little bit of marca blanco in the in the foie gras. I, I love this idea. Or the dulce leche in the foie gras. Also on the tasting menu, there's this um, idea of quinoa furikake. And, you know, furikake, you know, is, is a sprinkling of seeds and seaweed and spices mm-hmm. that you usually put over you know, rice. But are you incorporating the quinoa into the actual furikake blend? Yeah. So we make furikake. We, the only thing we don't make is the, the, the shichimi togarashi. Mm-hmm. But besides that, everything else, we toast, cut, grind, and make this blend of, of a quinoa furikake. And we put it over a... A quinoa tofu served with caviar. And there's also some unrefined Peruvian sugar that yeah, you sprinkle we on call, Yeah, we call it chancaca. Yeah. Yeah, so chancaca is, is basically, yeah, it's an unrefined sugar similar to panela, palm sugar, piloncillo, brown sugar. Um, we melt it down with some water. We add um, a little fish sauce to it, um, some orange peel. And yeah, and, and that's it. Traditionally, it's served with what we call picarones. Which is, which is a sweet potato and squash puree fried donut. So it was. So when the Spanish came over, they introduced the buñuelos and the picarones. Actually, happened by mistake by trying to make or mimic or replicate the Spanish buñuelo, and then the, that's how the picaron came to be. So do you and you find like, them everywhere on the street, and they're absolutely delicious. I mean, do, you, do you feel like a lot of these things were intentional or mistakes? Like, even when you came up with this dish, tuna and seaweed and leche de tigre with cabosu, I mean, it has both parts, but is it 
accidental that you arrived to this end, or is it a lot of trial and error and experiment? Um, I would say uh, trial and error. I mean, there are some things that happen by accident, and it's like a, they're like a good accident. So it's like this is this is the dish, um, but but I would I would say the the ceviche more trial and error. Kind of have an idea of what it's what I want to do, and I know you know seaweed is can be good in leche de tigre, and the pineapple kind of cuts it all. It was yeah, just trial and error. <laughs> this potato puree that sits underneath a mackerel and octopus dish. Uh, what is so important of this, you know, uh, simple root vegetable in Peru, and how does it translate into the Nikkei? Right. So there's all there's man. I think it's like three thousand five hundred different types of varieties of potatoes. Not all not all edible, but um, a lot of potatoes. So Peru introduced the potato to the world, um, and we have this dish called causa, which is a cold potato puree. Um, you put some ají amarillo, which is uh, Peruvian yellowish orange chili, spicy. Um, we puree it and mix it into that. Add some oil to give it a little richness, creaminess to make it nice and fatty, and then lime juice um, to can, to give it. So it's like a it's like a it's like a cold potato puree with a little with a little acidity and some heat. And we use it as like um, we use it as the vehicle for um, a nigiri. Um, so instead of the rice, it's the potato with like some cured mackerel. And then we do a, a nikiri glaze, which is the glaze that's typically used on sushi, for uh, when they when they make the the nigiris. They take the fi- you know when they kind of make the ball it up, they put the fish over it, and then you kind of see the the chef kind of dip the brush into some glaze. So I, I learned I made the glaze, and uh, we do a yuzu koshu mayo and a rice chip over it. So it's it's like Peru, it's like a Peruvian sushi, you know, instead of the rice, it's the potato. Yeah, I mean. Yes, you and can potato go- <laughs> encompasses like it's like it's Peruvian. Yeah, you know. Well, I mean, yes, you can go to Lama Inn and have all this Nikkei food as well as straight up Peruvian specials. But you are opening or just open uh, a new, more old school Criollo flavor restaurant. Yamita, Yamita, yeah, yeah which is um, or Lamita, Yamita, um, which translates to Little Lama. It's um, it's you know it's a taste of Lama in. In a more casual, fun, light, you know, setting. You know, grab and go. There's 14 seats. It's in the West Village on Carmine and Varick. Um, old IHOP. It was in, it's in the old IHOP um, building or restaurant. Did you keep any relics of the IHOP? <laughs> no. <laughs> but we actually took some relics from Llama Inn into Yamita. So I think we kind of created a, a little trend here. You know, we're going to bring a piece of each place and kind of put into like our new places you know but it's sandwich and sandwiches 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 yeah sorry sandwiches and and smoothies is this cultural of peru or is it just a llama in thing no no it's cultural of peru i mean like you know the sandwich culture is pretty big you know and there's a place called la lucha that's the first time i've been not introduced to the sandwich culture but introduced to the combination of a sandwich and a smoothie um so while Miraflores, there's a place called La Lucha in this Parque Kenny, in this area. And um, I went to go have a sandwich, and I saw there was a list of smoothies. And I was just like, all right, you know, let me, <laughs> I'll get a smoothie. And it was just, it was just delicious. So I was like, this, we got to do it over there. Um, there's another place called La Gran Fruta, which is just strictly smoothies and, and juices. And 
their menu is very large and it's a little overwhelming because there's so many ingredients and like you want to taste everything but just like some of the flavor combinations that I, that I mean that I tasted like you know I never had here in the United States like what? or like for instance like um grenadilla which is kind of like a passion fruit but more less less um um a little more sweet not as sour chirimoya we can get chirimoya here frozen but it's definitely does not taste like what it tastes like over there you know camu camu just all the all the fruits that come from the amazon you know just very like like different and delicious from like the Andes, the Amazon, so so diverse everything that you do, and because of you, I, I don't think I'll ever look at um, someone from New Jersey the same again. <laughs> but knowing <laughs> that, yeah, knowing that there's this bridge between Japan and Peru and back and forth, and you know that there are these communities, there are these societies built on two cultures that become their own, you know, singular thing. Um, and that's it's great because like when they both started they were just so like one never outdid the other right like old school civilization empire Japan you know strong like and same with Peru you know kind of just you know they they kind of went at it together and they eventually became one you know it never one never out like faded the other right like and some some civilizations and cultures, you you can see that. You know? That's why it's the blend. It's the balance. Yeah. It's Eric Ramirez of La Man, <laughs> La Mita, Nikkei Cuisine on Tuesdays. What, eight seats at the counter? Yeah, only? eight seats at the counter um, from 7. We usually finish around 9.30, 7, 7 to 9.30, so it's not that long. Um, it's about six, seven courses, eight courses. Uh, we, do, we do a little cocktail cart in the beginning, which is pretty cool. Um, we have this pretty amazing... Um, soy milk punch so if you ever want to have a milk punch and your lactose like there you go and it's pretty amazing it's it's uh with persimmons and soy milk um yeah i mean i i think that's an amazing cocktail that's why i brought it up um yeah and you know it's it's a good little it's a good little journey you know you get a little you get a little bit of new york you get a little bit of llama in a little bit of the nikkei you know it's good Excellent, man. Well, I will make my reservation very soon. And in the meantime, have smoothies and sandwiches. <laughs> Thank you for being on the food scene. You've been listening to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkell. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Big thank you to Wisconsin Cheese for sponsoring Music by Cookies and David Tatashore Engineering. Cheers. for listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage.
Thanks for listening.